Hey guys, what's up? It is week 123. We got a bunch of stuff for you. Uh, the Horpack guys, let's start this off right off the bat. The Horpack guys sent over a box to open up on camera. I didn't request it, they just offered to send one, uh, see if I'd open it on camera. I said, why not? Let's check this out together. So I know a lot of people like doing this, and I, I don't usually do these kind of things, but I figured why the hell not if they wanted to send it. It's a little bit exciting, I guess, so why not? I'll get a couple close-ups of what's in the box afterwards. But let's see what's in here. This is, I think, their August pack or September. All the information will be below, links and whatnot, if you want to check it out. But I opted for the Blu-ray one, so let's see what they got. See, I never do these kind of things before I look. Um, nice, Nicely packed. Because I have so many titles that if I, if I didn't have titles, I probably would do something like this. But I have so much, it's a little hard. Okay, we got uh, the from the executive producers of The Ring and the Grudge, The Echo. Um, this looks like a ghostly. Um, I'm not really a huge fan of ghostlies, but I'll give this one a shot. Uh, not, I've, just, I've seen this cover, but I've not really heard much about it, negative nor positive. Um, this is from Image Pictures, which is a decent company. We got the um, unrated version of uh, a steelbook, Brad Pitt, World War Z. Uh, this actually looks pretty nice. I don't know if I have World War Z. I'm looking at the shelf right now to check if I actually do have this or not. Um, I know I'm cheating right now, but it's kind of fun to do this. So I actually do have a copy, but I don't have a steel book. I actually thought this movie was pretty cool, pretty interesting. I mean, I, I mean, it wasn't my 100% favorite zombie movie, but I thought the first half was really um, impactful and entertaining. And hell, it's a big budget zombie movie. It's definitely, you know, I love zombie movies, so I'm definitely going to check it out. Then we have uh, Malignant, which um, is Brad Dorif in here. And I do think I have seen this one. This is a Horror Pack limited edition. Um, I do think I've seen this movie, and I might have even reviewed it. It's been a long time, though, but this Blu-ray is um, an exclusive, so, you know, maybe I'll recheck it out. I do like Brad Dorff, who doesn't? And this one was, uh, it's Modern Cinema, cinema for, so it's the Canadian company. I just noticed that on the back. So, yeah, and there's some documentaries on here. And then the last is Condemned by uh, RLJ Image Entertainment, and I'm not sure if I have this Blu-ray. Um, wait, do I? See, yeah, I do. <laughs> so it's like, this one I would have loved to get uh, in a pack if I didn't already have it, because I was really interested in checking this one out. It's a bunch of people like trapped in this big mansion, and not mansion, but apartment complex, and some sort of rabid virus. I love zombie movies, infected movies. I know a lot of people don't love them anymore. They're kind of overdone. That's how I feel about Ghostlies. Um, so yeah, this one interested me. I have not seen it, but yeah, pretty cool. Um, so really, it's not that bad of a pack for, four, for I think it's $20 for four Blu-rays, and you get it every month. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. The Horror Pack exclusive, this is number 38, so I think even Plank Face was in a Horror Pack exclusive, so hey. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of cool how they do that kind of deal there, but like I said, I never do it myself because I have so many things. What did I have? Two out of the four there and one on DVD. So I had three out of the four. But if I didn't have any of those, I'd be like, awesome, awesome. So if you're just starting out or collecting or, you know, you like to give away some Blu-rays and stuff and you want something to collect, I think that would be nice to do. Maybe hell, I'll do that and give some away. But uh, yeah, that is Horror Pack. The information will be below. We're going to hop into the first review here. And the first one is a doozy. It is from Arrow Video and it is a special edition of The Hills 
Devils Have Eyes Part 2 by, of course, Wes Craven. This one was made in 1984. It was made right after, right before Nightmare on Elm Street, so that's kind of important here. And, uh, yeah, this is interesting who's involved and how it got made and why it got made, more so than the actual movie itself. If you guys remember how the original Hills Have Eyes ended, there really wasn't room for a sequel. All the um, inbreds or the mountain people were killed. The desert kind of people were killed, and a couple people survived. This picks up, it's a direct sequel to the first one, so some of the same characters come back. And, uh, admittedly, Wes Craven said he made this movie for money. So it was very rushed, it was very cheap, he needed something to do. I mean, Last House was 72, Hills Have Eyes was 77. What what came after that, maybe Deadly Blessing? So he, he had a little gap, I guess, in between. So he was trying to get Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, made and everything. So he decided to do The Hills Have Eyes Part 2. Peter Locke produced this one, the same guy who produced the first one. And, of course, it has a score by Harry Manfredini, which is really cool and really interesting. And uh, from the special features, you learned that he did not have much time to do the score. So it sounds very Friday 13th-ish. And all his scores have a familiar ring to it. Uh, you know, it's kind of like horror. I, I want to say um, royalty, his score. You know, his kind of type of score is Friday 13th. So many things. And the score is pretty solid in this movie. It definitely gives it uh, the slasher Friday 13th phase or a charm to it. So what we have here is um, the two of the survivors from the original, Bobby and Ruby, who is one of the um, original clan from the Hills Have Eyes. Um, they're, they're kind of stayed together, and they also have Beast still. They still have Beast around. So they kind of stayed together, and... Um, Bobby works on, I guess, fuel, uh, this special kind of fuel for dirt bikes, and he runs this kind of dirt bike group where they're going to take this special fuel to this tournament and race their bikes. So what happens is they decide to take this bus across the desert where everything happened. Bobby doesn't want to go because he's suffering from psychological damage, and the scene in the opening here, he's kind of doing a psychiatrist deal where there's flashbacks, one of three or four major flashbacks they have through the movies, and while I'm talking about flashbacks, I might as well mention the kind of iconic or you know infamous dog flashback yes a dog has a flashback it's really silly we get the point okay some people think it was Wes Craven sticking the middle finger up like okay you want you want this movie I'll give you the fucking movie the dog having a flashback so we have that but Bobby decides not to go Ruby does go and on the bus trip all the you kind of start to get to meet these characters they're all young they're all silly and this movie has a huge kitchen sink approach everything that you could think that is a tripe or a trope in a horror film happens we have have the really generic uh, psychic, the blind girl who's mildly psychic. We have the pranksters constantly happening. We have the uh, the flashbacks. We have a lot of those kind of things going on. Uh, a lot of the people are really idiotic and dumb, so you're like, just kill them off already. I don't care about any of these people. It has a silly kind of deal to it. It looks like it's shot in a pretty decent location, um, very similar to the first one, maybe even the same place as the first one, but they use this kind of old mining kind of a historical artifact in a lot of it, and that's kind of cool. Uh, Michael Berryman returns as Pluto, and you kind of learn that he survived, but he had the help of somebody, I'm going to spoil this, the Reaper, who is uh, Papa Papa Jupe's brother. So he's really ridiculous. A nice little tidbit of information is he's voiced by Nicholas Worth. Nicholas Worth is in tons of horror movies and B-movies and just tons of movies, a couple Clint Eastwood films, and Don't Answer the Phone, Hell Comes to Frogtown for you horror fans out there. So he voices amazing, deep, powerful, booming voice. He voices the Reaper. Um, unfortunately, he doesn't play him. So we have just two kind of crazy people hacking and slashing all these annoying kids inside the, you know, inside this uh, bus in the desert. So that's pretty much the basic plot, pretty much the setup. Well, I was 
what I will say is that the kids are highly annoying, highly stupid, even at points of danger when obviously something's wrong, they decide to do all these pranks. Um, and it gets really kind of grating on your nerves. Um, the character of Ruby, um, she kind of doesn't really get, uh, you know, uh, a deserving ending to her. Kind of a little letdown and you learn what happened in the special features there. She says that, you know, she didn't like what they wrote, so she didn't do exactly what they asked and tells a really funny story about getting a haircut on production, which made Wes kind of lose his mind. So this movie doesn't seem like it was a very beloved shoot, really. They, they don't seem like they're really bitter about anything. In the interviews they have um, with the uh, the Peter Locke, Michael Berryman, Harry Manfredini, um, the Janice uh, Bluth, who plays uh, Ruby. So it's a nice release. It, it says, like I said, it also has an audio commentary on there, which is just interesting. No, not Wes himself, but it's pretty decent. Um, so all in all, it's not a great movie. Obviously, it has been crapped on for its entirety because they said it's a giant cash-in and it's pretty much unwatchable and a dog has a flashback. But in all honesty, if this movie didn't have The Hills Have Eyes Part 2 on the end, most people would just look at it as an average 80s slasher film. I was kind of shocked that it came out in 84. I really would have thought this one came out later. And uh, I'm also shocked that it came out right before Nightmare on Elm Street, arguably Wes Craven's most successful and best film. Um, maybe not arguably successful. Maybe Scream was more successful. But arguably his best film and, and probably my favorite really maybe besides Last House or the original Hills Have Eyes I think those are all great so you know uh, watching this I, I was like this is pretty stupid pretty standard uh, 80s slasher fare but I didn't hate it it's dumb it has tons of tropes and stuff but if it didn't have Wes Craven's name attached to it or the Hills Have Eyes name it would probably be looked at as an average kind of fun some people would like it slasher but since it has those things attached to it it's held to a higher standard and I do really think it is um, it's not great it's obviously um, made for money but most horror films were made for money in the 80s unfortunately most horror films most films in general are made for money um i would check it out uh i kind of enjoyed it i, I go right down the middle with it it's average to me it's 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 bad but it's entertainingly bad in a lot of ways and and you know you get to see some of the same characters there's not much gore in here there's a couple bits that are pretty gory but that's it i mean there's a couple off-screen kills that you're like okay man you should have really pushed the boundaries here because the first one has that kind of um pull no punches mentality and it's just really kind of one of these scariest deals and it's also funny that the first one is pretty much a texas chainsaw massacre ripoff when you look at it and this one opens up with the texas chainsaw massacre kind of narration like um the john larroquette kind of opening in the original texas chainsaw it does that in this one so you're like you know, it's just obviously such a cash in but um shamelessly done entertaining nonetheless hills have eyes part two there's a nice little booklet nice hard case so if you're interested in this movie or you like it then definitely pick up this release Way out in the desert, further than the eye can see, beyond all towns, all roads, where few have ever been. Who'd put a welcome sign out here? The hills still have eyes. They'd already killed my mother and my older sister. And now the father is coming after us. Somebody's out by the bus. <laughs>
Okay guys, the next one is also from Arrow Video, and this is 1984's The Prey. This is one of those movies, I did a VHS Voyage of the Prey. I never thought The Prey was going to hit Blu-ray. So when Arrow announced it, I was like, alright, that's really cool. And the funny thing is, is I've always been kind of lukewarm on this movie, kind of right in the middle. I thought it was an average 80s slasher film. But some of the history kind of makes it a little bit more interesting. And that's funny to these, because a lot of these movies that I don't love, I find interesting nonetheless. Like, I want to watch them and kind of study them in a the way. Um, this release is loaded. It's got three different versions of the movie. It's got the original 80-minute theatrical version. It's got the um, so-called international version with the gypsy scene. They refer to it the gypsy scene a million times, so I guess that's what it's most commonly known as. And then it's got a comp, uh, comp, uh, composite vi uh, version. I, I don't know why I troubled that word, but it's like, you know, a uh, hybrid. It's all the footage in one. And that runs like, what, an hour and 42 minutes. This original theatrical was 80 minutes. The um, background kind of gypsy footage adds about 20 minutes to it. So it's fairly long uh, flashback. So this movie was originally made in 7980. Think about that. This is a, a movie about a group of kids going out into the woods and being hacked and slashed by a giant mutated monster. 1980, that is. The same year Friday 13th was released. This movie kept getting pushed back or they had trouble releasing it or getting it finished, so it didn't come out till 84. By then, I think the the final chapter had come out. So much stuff had come out, and it would just look like a cash-in on Friday the 13th and stuff like Just Before Dawn and The Burning. So it really kind of got the short end of the stick there. But saying that, The Prey Falls, a group of six kind of hikers that want to go out in the woods. They have decent personalities. The acting is okay. The dialogue's pretty poor. Some of the dialogue you want to roll your eyes. And the other main character is a park ranger who goes to look after the kids. So, um, kind of almost like a, a decent, likable, all-round guy. The acting, like I said, is okay. It's decent. It's not the worst you've seen for a slasher, and it's certainly not the most memorable either. Um, the dialogue is probably what hurts the characters the most. Uh, so, uh, uh, this movie is infamous for a couple reasons. One, one uh, is the nature shots in here, but the movie's called The Prey. And I was watching this and I was like, okay, we'll watch the group of campers eating and then we'll see a bunch of creatures eating. And we're seeing these kind of, uh, you know, birds and snakes and everything around them and insects. And in a way, everything is prey in this movie. The animals and the people are prey too because we have these voyeur shots of the monster, the slasher, watching them. And like I said, I reviewed this one previously on the VHS voyage and I came right down the middle with it but re-watching it uh, you know in this nice little 
little master, remastered version kind of made me appreciate it a little bit more. And like I said, um, watching the original theatrical version, because I watched the extended kind of um, longer cut, I actually appreciated the shorter version better. Um, the, the flashback is a nice piece of backstory, and I do enjoy knowing and having it in my head exactly what the monster is, but it being an 80-minute straightforward kind of deal is way nicer. The location on this one goes a long way, kind of like Just Before Dawn, where we have these big mountains that play directly into the um, kills at, at points, and they're terrifying. The way they use them in a couple of the deaths are brutal. Some of the deaths are kind of off-screen and not very gratuitous, but when they do do a couple of the deaths, especially a snare trap that flash, slashes somebody, like brings them back and they hit a tree, that kind of made me jump a little bit, to be honest, and it's it's brutal and it's quick and it's done right. Uh, the cutting of the rope, without spoiling too much, I'm just all I'm going to say, is also pretty damn scary. Um, the monster in here is actually played by Lurch, so that's nice to see. And, and Lurch from the Adams Family kind of movies in the 90s. He's in a bunch of stuff, including Oblivion, so I never knew that until watching this. They actually have an interview with him, and I was like, holy crap, that's really cool. The ending of the movie will at least make you be like, wow, <laughs> they went there, and I like seeing that as well. Um, on the disc, there's tons of interviews, one with the park ranger, uh, two, I think actually they get all three of the lead females, uh, interviewed and the park ranger and the killer. So that's nice to see because they have some insight on the movie. Uh, like I said, the, the, um, the one, the one actress in here I enjoyed seeing because she talks about her career after this, how she always got kind of middling reviews about her acting, but she ended up becoming like somebody who sold barbecue sauce, and that's nice. I, I got to give the props to the um, guy who's on the, he's covering the features, Ian something. Uh, he, um, this British gentleman, loved this movie so much. He's pretty much seems like the reason this thing is getting this remastered edition with all these cuts of the movie and these three tooth commentaries and all these long audio interviews with the producer and director. It's like um, he. He went to task on this movie and it was a personal vendetta to get this get this released and you know like i said i don't love the movie i enjoy it but seeing someone have this much fondness for something is like wow this move this release is almost too good for this movie to say that um and that's the most that's the biggest compliment you can give to one of these companies probably is this is too good for this movie um uh, like I said, it's it's kind of run down the middle. I wish it would have came out earlier. I think that there is a chance that this one could have changed uh, the history of kind of the slasher movie. Um, a lot of people don't like it. A lot of people think it's an unintentionally hilarious with the animal footage, and it is a little jarring at first, but eventually that animal footage, like of the buzzards, kind of plays into one of the deaths in the movie. Um it's okay. It's it's right down the middle. It, it's pretty quick, although it does seem to drag a little bit. There's a couple gags in here and jokes in here. They try to establish the park ranger as a likable person. They give him some of his own scenes that kind of work. So all in all, it's right down the middle for me. I think that it looks damn good. It sounds good. And the flashback stuff was all filmed by uh, pornographers or porno filmmakers. So there's a lot of gratuitous nudity in that stuff and uh, it has this whole storyline of revenge and burning. And I like how the movie opens with this giant fire setting everything up so um it ends on how, how you kind of would unexpect it's a very dark ending and uh that's kind of appreciated in a slasher movie there's a lot of slasher movies that are, are grim and mean but the ending you know the killer dies the girl gets away we don't really have that here which makes it a little bit unique so i, I do think the prey is worth seeking out especially for slasher enthusiasts um i, I do think it and take in consideration that this was made in 1980 and not released till 84 so there's that too Man, am I ready for tonight? First, you uh, play it real cool, and then slip it right to her. 
This next one here is from On Earth Classics. This is the third uh, release they did. This is Nightwish. Previously, they released The Unnameable and Dark Side of the Moon. Both worth checking out. Nightwish, man. Uh, this one was made, what, in the late 80s, early 90s? Probably somewhere around there, you can tell. And it seems like that's kind of the MO with all these Unearth classics. Maybe they're like Trimark kind of deals at one point. That's what they feel like. But Nightwish was a cover I remembered. It was a VHS I owned and a movie I never watched. So I put this in and I was like, well, what are we going to get into here? And I saw the cast. I saw Robert Tessier. I believe that's how you say his name, Tessier or whatever. He's in some classic movies like Hard times and the longest yard and the deep so i was like okay this is gonna be awesome and then i saw brian thompson who i absolutely love brian thompson's one of these character actors who always plays like a big heavy bad guy he's in cobra he's in terminator he's in fright night 2 as bosworth one of my favorite characters in fright night 2 um you're supposed to bite her on the neck asshole i love him in that movie i I actually really enjoy him every time he pops up he's also in miracle mile and he's got a nice little role in that so enough of that um this movie feels lovecraftian in fact all three of the movies they've released have had kind of a Lovecraftian kind of taste to him. And I kind of like that. I am a sucker for the aesthetic of the late 80s, early 90s movies, even though a lot of people really hate those movies. I grew up at that time, so going to the video store and seeing a lot of that kind of stuff. Okay, Nightwish follows a group of students and their professor who are doing these kind of weird dream experiments, and, and they're kind of like seeing how far they can go in the depth. They're paranormal kind of researchers and do that kind of deal. All of them are supposed to go to this house, which is supposed to be this evil entity, and kind of study it. And this whole house has this history of tragedy and it's supposed to be an entity within the house. And pretty soon off, you kind of learn there's something else going on. The professor is not who he says he is or he has a dark past and a whole bunch of crazy things start to happen here. They say that the entity can cause paranoia and insanity and that kind of is what happens in some aspects. But um, it becomes a gooey kind of body horror thing and Lovecraftian thing and kind of a mind uh, screw thing. It becomes really weird and really crazy and different like that. The guy who plays the professor was a director himself. He directed one of the coolest movies, um, Race with the Devil. So he directed a couple other ones too, kind of exploitation pictures. And he's really good in this, really creepy and intense. So we have all these students kind of uh, the professor starts to lose his mind and take control of the experiment and a lot of weird things start to happen here and I don't necessarily want to spoil too much even if I could spoil it because a lot of things I'm like what in the hell is happening here there, like I said there's a lot of body horror elements in here and of course it's an early um, you know effects job by K&B effects and they, they're just called uh, Nicotero uh, and they don't even say K&B effects yet so it's got to be one of their first gigs um, the effects are really damn cool uh, the practical effects are great 
especially the stuff on the body with the little creatures and bugs and we start to talk about aliens and you don't know what the hell is going on is this a supernatural entity is this just something in their heads is this an alien attack you don't really know and then the ending comes around and you're like oh that that makes sense although i feel a little screwed over here or do i um and definitely like i said has a flatliners aspect to it it has a lot of cool special effects it looks really good i like the location um brian thompson plays a really strange guy who's always trying to run animals down the road and says the field yours the road's mine so it's got these weird quirky characters there's a scene where they stop at this fruit stand on the side of the road and you remember in movies where they would just take somebody who looks physically kind of different and unique and just put him in the movie for a second they do that here and to me that adds a layer of uncomfortability at points you're like what what's the point of this what, why is this here is this just to make me feel uneasy or is this to show that there's some kind of weird thing going around in this area because they're supposed to say that there's deformities happening to the animals and things like that and um i, I feel bad for the actor or actresses when they get people like that like you're supposed to be deformed so you know be be yourself and you're just like oh man that just sometimes is a little unsettling and it adds like an unsettling nature to the movie and that's in here um so like i said i enjoy it um there's bugs and gross there's lots of cool effects i i really like this kind of stuff um highly recommend this one there's a commentary Stephen Bureau and the producer they go a little bit into how this movie was made and talk about some of the cast and everything like that that was nice there is a little bit of tna but mostly just a wet shirt t-shirts and stuff like that so um i would recommend checking this one out uh it's, it's fairly well acted it's got some weird unique things going on it switches constantly what it is and it's kind of a mismatch but uh it makes sense in a nonsensical kind of mind screwing way uh recommend this is probably my favorite of the unearth classics so far i dig this kind of stuff so this is right up my alley it began as an experiment that went terribly wrong. I believe we have very good chance to get authentic contact with the psychic entity. An investigation into the existence of other dimensions. Kim saw something, Doctor. Their plan was to confront the supernatural with science. Jack, it's going to touch or do something! Do nothing. Tonight, their wish has been granted. Don't scare me. I'm not afraid of you! Be strong, Jack. We're having a safe hallucination! No, there's no hallucination. Are you just doing this to teach us not to be scared? Who's there? Who's is afraid of us. It's using its only weapon to try to confuse us. Okay, we have another Andy Sedaris movie, Savage Beach. <laughs> These Andy Sedaris movies, honestly, like if you watch a bunch in a week, they would all run together. They're all very similar. He's got his MO down and he knows what works, what he likes, and he does it every freaking time. And saying that, 
I enjoy a spirit, like I said. I don't, I don't want to keep doing these and repeat myself, so I'm going to try to be a little bit different, maybe. The story here is as follows. In World War II, there was some gold um, and this island. Uh, I think it's off. In, in real life, it's around Hawaii. It's probably in Hawaii because, you know, Anastasia is like, let's go to Hawaii and make, you know, some fun movies and hang out and have a vacation. So uh, and this gold was uh, lost there, and it was protected by these Japanese soldiers, and basically, you know, it's been left there for years. So a bunch of people know it's there. I believe Navy officials and criminals and these, uh, the agency, of course, gets involved. The agency is delivering medicine uh, to kind of a poor place. Their, their plane crash lands on that island. And they soon realize that one of the Japanese soldiers is still around there protecting the gold. Of course, um, the government, um, you know, the Navy comes in looking for it, and these bad guys come in looking for it. Um, there's some double-crossing. One of the Navy officials uh, from Mexico really wants the money to start a communist-like uprising in his country. And uh, there's also a group of uh, Asians, one played by Al Leone. Al Leone coming in here, who's awesome. One of the best stuntmen. He's in a bunch of stuff. Die Hard, Last Action Hero. He's in everything, okay? So he comes, Lethal Weapon. He comes in here, and they're trying to get the gold. So basically, it's a whole lot of uh, typical Andy Sedaris action, some explosions, some shootouts, some double crossing, some nudity, some TNA, some silliness, some women being cool and tough and punching people and whatnot. So it, it's kind of like the action hero cheesiness and spy kind of thing. The women are definitely the toughest ones. They definitely do the most cool stuff, and a lot of the guys take a back seat, which I kind of like is funny in these movies. It's not funny, but it's played like kind of silly. The whole movie's played silly like that. But I really I hope Marie Carlton and the other woman from the other movies, I can't think of her name. Uh, really, I kind of like watching them be the heroes of these movies and having to kind of thrift line through the story. Um, it's really cheesy, like I said, and uh, like I said, there's tons of double crossing. By the end of the movie, they do try to attempt at some sort of, you know, kind of like wartime heroics or kind of, you know, almost drama-like thing, which he typically doesn't do. So there is a little bit more heartfelt stuff in here. Uh, it looks really good. Like I said, it's 4K. Um, it's probably one of the better ones on the out of the bunch on here. Uh, this one, uh, there's some miniature use as well with the planes, and I can appreciate that kind of stuff. Uh, there is a thing on a special behind-the-scenes featurette which involves like Julie Strain, I think, again in there and uh, um, kind of shooting stuff for it. Um, I, I, there is a sequel to this, Return to Savage Beach, which I hope they release. I'll check it out. But yeah, I think these, if they're up your alley, they're up your alley. And like I said, it's you've wasted 90 minutes doing something way worse than this. So, uh, Savage Beach. This is Savage Beach. In Hard Ticket to Hawaii, undercover federal agents Donna Hamilton and Taryn Kendall save the country from drug smugglers. In Picasso Trigger, they save the world from the brutal hand of an international assassin. Savage Beach. They are the targets for murder. This time, they'd better save themselves. Good idea. and 
Terran crash land into the center of a search for a ton of gold. Where there's gold, there's greed, and murder rules the land. A paradise haunted by a mysterious presence. Take cover. This is no ordinary day in the sun. Terror reigns on the shores of Savage Beach. Okay, this next one uh, I requested to review. It, it was a screening link. It's not yet released, so uh, it's going to be minimal spoilers. This is Her Name Was Krista. This is James L. Edwards' uh, directorial, directorial debut. Uh, James L. Edwards is an independent actor that started in Tempe Films. He was in a bunch of them, uh, Bloodletting, had small roles in Dead Next Door. He's in The Sandman, Polymorph, and he's been in some other newer uh, independent movies like Mills for Zombies, some of the Campbell Brothers films. So he's kind of had a, a long uh, career in independent cinema and finally he sat behind the director's seat here and he pulled a sling blade you know sometimes a lot of these indie actors they don't get great roles they, they're always good but they're the best part of a bad movie or the best part of a you know a not very great role they can save it and James L. Edwards is pretty much he's not I'm not saying the movies are bad there's a lot of stuff I really like but he's always really good in it never minding the quality of the film so he actually gave himself the lead role in here it's definitely he wrote it for himself and he tailor made it to fit perfect so, okay, what we have here is, uh, this is kind of about a social outcast who's kind of a lonely person, decent, nice guy. Um, the opening of the film opens with him in a mental institution or being interviewed. He's so you right away, you get an unreliable narrator. And then the story kind of unfolds where we learn about this guy who goes to work every day. And he just basically does everything he's told, never does anything else. And he, he I love that James L. Edwards actually shaved his head in the middle to make himself look bald. It looks pretty legit. I don't think if people knew who he was in real life or seen him at all, they would know that he actually isn't bald. So there's that. A lot of dedication for the character. So you get this kind of a strange character. And his life's kind of turned upside down when a new co-worker comes in and starts asking him these questions about himself. Like, well, how, how long has it been since you had sex? And he's like, he's a little nervous about asking answering these questions but eventually he does and it leads to him kind of doing this hiring a prostitute to be his girlfriend experiment and at first he doesn't want any sex he doesn't want that he just wants that human contact and of course you don't think this is going to end well because on the cover art it's him laying next to a dead body so you're wondering right off the bat you think this is going to be some sort of huge kind of necromaniac or um storyline something like that like a um a really disgusting necro like a necrophiliac movie so that um this movie is not exactly that this is a love story through and through but it's a love horror story that doesn't turn to kind of a horror story psychological thing until like the last 30 minutes or so and this movie really uh, a lot of the weight is on the shoulders of the lead actor james l edwards and uh, i can't think of the actress who plays krista but she's pretty good as well james l edwards is really great in this film and um it's, it's fairly well shot it's fairly well acted for the most part almost all the acting is nice i love seeing some tempe uh, kind of cameos in here if you guys are familiar with tempe films there's a bunch of cameos i don't want to spoil any of them so i won't i'll let you guys find them but i noticed a bunch of them uh and like i said this movie could easily easily be kind of like uh there's like this thing that i always make jokes about it's like middle-aged man with a very attractive girl that wants to be with him kind of deal and it's just like why would she want to be with him this just kind of makes you want to roll your eyes like it's a weird male fantasy written kind of stuff but watching this he had to be very careful with that he makes his character in this film 
have this unique quality about him and he's his likability where he is weird and sad but not creepy and scary and it adds this until the very end and it adds this layer where you can be like I can understand to some extent why this is happening and the way it unfolded there is a turn at the end where I was kind of a little iffy about where they reveal something about the character where I was like it makes sense on paper but for the way it was portrayed I just have a hard time buying it but then again we have an unreliable, unreliable narrator telling the story so okay so at the end of the movie there's a psychological break and without giving too much away there is definitely the necrophilia that the cover um promises so it gets really nasty there and it goes places and uh yeah and and the way they do some of the edits it's very De Palma like if you know what I mean showing these two different worlds inside somebody's head and everything like that I liked the way it ended it is dark uh it is well acted some of the times there's a lot of dialogue but it's well written dialogue it's funny dialogue so that's always nice to see because if a movie relies heavily on acting ability and dialogue and it fails on those fronts then it becomes boring and tedious this does not do that okay so and uh there's another thing in here where they use the lighting in the car and they use this green light. And I was like, I wonder why they chose to use that green light. And and then one way it is kind of a technical aspect where you can see it be actually filmed at night and you can actually see what's in the car. But it also gives a nice little eerie setting to it and also and, and like that when I enjoyed that. So I, I would recommend checking this out. Um, I don't want to say it's like a taxi driver in a lot of ways, but it's, you know, it's kind of in that, in that vein. It's not one where somebody goes out and goes a bunch of killing, but it's definitely a story of, um, although Travis in that movie was crazy and taxi driver and violent, this character obviously is off center, but watching them kind of go through what they go through and what eventually happens and, and into a tragedy, I, I think it's worth checking out. I think it's good. I think it's a nice directorial debut, and that's kind of strange. I see so many independent movies, and a lot of their failures come in at the script and the dialogue and things like that. But uh, I enjoyed it. I, I think it's well worth checking out. There'll be some information below. It is not yet released. I will show the trailer. So yeah, check it out. Hey, you got a light? She was the most beautiful woman I had ever seen in my entire life. That was grossed up. What should we do? I have an idea. What's that? It's a surprise. Steven, I don't like surprises. Trust me. I can't imagine what my life would be like without you. And I don't want to. That's all great and fun, but uh, don't get too attached. It's not love. Why do you get to come at me like that, Nick? Looking for some company tonight? You said you loved me. Doesn't that mean anything? Krista, I swear to you, I'll never let them take you. I hope your insurance is paid up, pal. Are you ready to see things no mortal man can ever see? Have I lost my mind? Stop fighting this. Just stop asking questions and come to bed. Stephen, what has gotten into you? You never used to be like this. I just didn't want to be alone. You're thinking of cutting me up and leaving me out here? I'd get that thought right out of your head. I don't understand. We can concentrate on the negative. Or we can just be happy that we found each other. You want that, don't you? 
think you have to kill yourself. It makes sense. Love conquers all. Sometimes even death. Okay, this is going to be a little difficult to review. This is Ragmort, uh, Eric Whiting film. He did uh, Hellhounds and Primordial, which I loved that one. Uh, this one, okay, here. And, and let me say this, you know, when I review indie movies or when I watch indie movies and I, I, I have anything critical to say about it, uh, I feel really bad because I've been involved with indie movies. I've made indie movies myself. I immediately feel like there is definitely, you know, some sort of uh, conflict of interest here because it's like I know what it's like and I know that things I say negatively, I'm sure people have tenfold things to say about my movies or my performances or anything like that. So that it's like a double-edged sword where I have to be honest and maybe I shouldn't even review indie movies I think sometimes. But Regmort, and I don't want to use this as this is like a movie that I completely hate or something like that. But I'm just saying like I'm reviewing this is like kind of doing three indies in a row. So it's kind of like we have one before this one and then the next one are all indie movies. So I'm kind of like thinking about that a lot when I watch these indie movies, especially when they're made like on a low budget or I know anybody involved with the film, it automatically hits home for me. I'm like, oh, so um, this one here is Eric Whiting. Like I said, he kind of makes a lot, his films are usually dark and experimental and shot uniquely and different. He is a cinematographer. He's worked with Henrik Kodo and a bunch of movies from Ohio, Dayton area. So uh, this one is all in black and white. And I, I think, I believe Hellhounds uh, had some black and white flashes as well. This stars uh, Tim no Novity, I believe you say his name. And I had seen him in a couple other things. He's in one of Jim Roberts' movies, Happy Hour Holocaust, I believe. Uh, and I think he actually has a small little role in Her Name is Krista as a cop. Uh, a little tiny little second in that movie, but it's, it's actually a pretty good bit of what he says in there. So, okay, this movie, like I said, um, that the lead is Tim. And then there's some supporting cast in here, which I'm familiar with. Adam Clevenger, Aaron Ryan, Mary Lee Osborne, who else pops up in here? One of my friends, Jason Lindbergh's son's in here, Julian Lindbergh in his film debut, so that's nice to see. And then also, oh geez, um, Jeff Berkman, who's in a bunch of things. He's in some Van Beber movies, so that's always cool to see him pop up in Dayton movies still acting. I like that. And then uh, I can't think of John Ham Ham or something. He's in um, The Girl in the Crawl Space, and he was in one of Dustin Mills' short films, Slip Mouth Moment. He's also very good. I enjoy all the supporting cast in this movie. I think they all do a very good job, and and I am always big, more of a fan of, you know, uh, character actors or supporting actors in films usually. And all those people, I've seen them in other things, and I think they do it. Besides Julian, it's his first movie, but they all do uh, a really good job. Is it Julian or is Lucian? Lucian, sorry, sorry, sorry. I don't know Julian, but they all do a really good job. Um, especially, I really enjoyed Adam Clevenger's performance in Jeff Berkman. I thought that they were kind of standouts in here. So saying that, we have this character, it's definitely, again, we have that kind of uh, lead character who's psychologically damaged, he's having breakdowns, he's having kind of weird things, and he goes back to the old family farm, which is kind of, you know, almost a trope in itself, where we have this character who's psychologically damaged and goes back to face something, he's having these flashes from his past, and he doesn't seem healthy at all, and he starts to notice his kind of vagrant around his property, and he's kind of vicious and almost uh, feral, and he has, starts to have run-ins with him where he you know at one point kills him but that doesn't stop him from coming back so you realize that either there's something supernatural happening or there's something psychologically damaging happening and you're kind of wondering throughout the entire movie where it's going to go and again we have flashes with his family he jeff berkman was a family friend so he's like his old kind of father figure where he uh, confines in him at times and we have these kind of like elaborate you know not elaborate but we have these conversations between them that kind of reflect maybe a bit what how eric whiting feels you know a little bit about 
the current state of the world or how these characters feel about the current state of the world kind of deal. So like that stuff's all decent, all well made. I like that it's black and white and you know, it is not easy to make an independent serious movie and it takes guts to be honest because uh, if you have comedy or humor or crazy things in there, you know, you can be a little bit more weird and different and I think that people will let things slide more. But when you deal with dark subjects and things like that and serious uh, things that are happening in here and scary things, people will be more... Um, apt to be critical of it, I think. And I think that's maybe why I have some critiques about this or anything like that. Um, this movie, like I said, it 80% has the lead in here. So the whole film really falls on that character and his performance. So if you don't buy his character or you don't 100% buy his performance, the movie suffers a little bit here. To me, he is um, he, his dialogue, the way he delivers it, I think solid and he does some narration and things like that. I think physically, he's a little off to me. Um, he, he Maybe it's what he's going for. He's kind of being kind of a stiff kind of character in here because he's trying to maybe be somebody who doesn't have much emotion left because his tragedies that happened early in his life and that could possibly be it and that could work for some people I don't really think it works for me um, maybe I'm missing something you know obviously I'm not perfect uh, but I really think that a different character or a different performance for me would have went a lot further with that kind of movie so like I said it, it's very dark and it, the ending of this movie packs a powerful punch I was like wow that's really strong and I kind of felt it was going to be like something like that anybody knows my personal life or anything like that it, it kind of hit really close to home and I was like oh, it's really unfortunate to see and a lot of people may be offended by something like that but to me you know I think that film is a place to explore those dark things and maybe work through some things as well and I enjoy seeing the ambition in that and the, the look into somebody's you know psyche or some dealing with things or looking at dark things as long as it is genuine and earnest not you know, laughing at it in a certain extent. And that's not what they're doing here. Although, unless it's a comedy, you know, it depends. It's all very circumstantial and um, things like that. So, uh, yeah, I, like I said, I didn't 100% buy the performance or get behind the character. I'm not sure which it is. Uh, but I do think the movie has some interesting aspects. It is short. It has some brutality to it. There's minimal effects. It's not overly, uh, uh, you know, effects-heavy film. But it's shot kind of in a different way, and it's dark. And maybe rewatching it would be kind of interesting as well. But I'm not 100% sure how I feel about the movie. Like I said, I do think it's worth checking out if you're into independent movies. I definitely would check out his previous effort, Primordial. Um, I love that movie. I, mean, I always say it wrong. It's like a tongue twister for me. But I, I really love that one. And uh, Bravo, does, uh, I really liked some of the supporting cast in here and whatnot. So, yeah, that is uh, Ragmort, which is all a strange name for a title as well. And he goes into, you know, thinking that how he made that up in the commentary where he talks about, you know, being young and thinking that it was something else. And he must have said it like that. And Ragmort kind of resembles. And they tell you what it is right in the beginning. So it's kind of interesting as well. So there's some interesting aspects. I can't get 100% behind it. But I do think... It is worth seeking out and watching the trailer. Maybe you'll dig it. Ragmark. That was what I called it. Presence I could only feel in the dead of night. Alone. This thing followed my every move. My grandpa assured me it wasn't real. But nothing could convince me otherwise. 
Okay, this next one is a short film by, I think, Sean Wright or Sean White. Sorry, something like that. But it is Night of the Axe. Okay, this is 22 minutes. It was sent over uh, for me to watch on Vimeo. I believe there's a YouTube link for free, too, if you want to check that out. And on Vimeo, I'll put that below. So this has got a uh, first impressions right away. I was like, this is a first-time filmmaker. This is 22 minutes long. It is a slasher movie, which is something that a lot of first-time filmmakers would kind of uh, gravitate towards, especially young people that are big slasher fans. Like I said, this movie doesn't take much time to get started. It's a very typical story. We have a crazy person who escapes somewhere, goes around. I maybe don't even escape. They just snap, and they start killing people. They skill an axe after they kill this uh, this old-timer uh, out back, this guy, uh, older guy, and they go on a kill-crazy rampage. They run into four girls uh, hanging out at a house, drinking and talking about you know life and you know doing the typical things that kids do when they hang out when they're young and of course the killer starts to slash them away first i want to say that uh, some of the effects uh, are pretty decent especially on a super no budget movie i can tell it's no budget i like the effects most of them are kind of like after effects you'll see the axe swing and it'll be on there and then they'll show the after effect that looks decent that that for what this is it works okay i enjoyed that um the editing on some of that stuff is okay. Like I said, that when they do the effects, they're all right. Some of the other editing is kind of, uh, you know, really lackluster where they'll have a group of four people talking. They'll be over here and then it will cut to the a wider on them and it just feels jarring. Or they'll cut to them talking and then cut to the same thing, same shot of them talking with nothing in between or no cutaways or anything like that. So there's no real coverage. There's no like um, inserts or anything like that. So and, and when it comes to major dialogue scenes, it does affect them. And like I said, they didn't get enough coverage for the dialogue. Instead of setting up for three or four people's close-ups or mediums, it's just mostly in two shot. And I understand. I understand that. I think I made the same freaking mistake in Slimy Little Bastards at the table scene with all that improv and be not getting enough coverage and cutaways. So I can understand why that happened here. But it is there and it is jarring it times um the music i think is okay as well like i said um the fight stuff when they're fighting and interacting is pretty poor some one of the trips over a, a chair or couch it looks very fake very silly um again the editing and the coverage is not all there on the footage itself but there is ambition and it is very short and gets to the point did i hate it no is it a, definitely a first effort i would i would say so I, I would say it was made probably by fairly young people and you got to give them some props for going out there and making a movie uh and you know it's obviously inspired by slasher films they're a big fan of slasher movies and i wonder if they watch other independent movies they're inspired by that i would recommend checking some other independent slasher movies out for the filmmaker maybe they do maybe i'm just assuming because you know that's not a good thing to do but i noticed with a lot of these independent slashers they don't watch other independent movies so they always make the same mistakes over and over again but hell i, I made some of the same freaking mistakes after watching hundreds of independent movies so what can i say so yeah um if this is up your alley there'll be a link below Okay, this next one is a Patreon pick from my friend Keith Voigt Jr., and he wanted me to check out Friday 13th Part 2. I was like, why not? Never get tired of those movies, so Friday 13th Part 2. It's kind of weird. I never talk about these movies, but if somebody picks it on Patreon, I got no choice. Okay, um, this one was made, um, what is it, 80, was it 82? Did it go two years after the original? Directed by Steve Miner. Steve Miner would go on to direct Friday 13th Part 3. He would direct House. He would direct like Placid. He would direct that awful Day of the Dead remake, but but for the most part, Steve Miner is a very capable, decent director. Um, honestly, this is considered probably one of the best Friday 13th movies. Um, if you watch a lot of, or listen to a lot of podcasts, some of the experts out there of the Friday 13th movies are big lovers like you know Dave Z on a bunch of podcasts, Banana Laser and everything like that. They dive deep in these Friday 13th movies. So if you want something like that, I would recommend uh, listening to Banana Laser, Exploding Heads, because they love these movies to death. So yeah. Okay. 
I am a fan of it. I enjoy this one. And this is one that I watch. The more I watch, the more I enjoy it. I think it is an improvement on the first one. Uh, the first one was like lightning in a bottle. And this is the first appearance of Jason Voorhees, of course. Sackhead Jason. Everybody loves Sackhead Jason. And I find this one interesting because what the franchise would turn into later is so different from this one. Jason doesn't have the mask in here. Jason uses the call, the phone to call, which is a very big tropey thing back in the 80s and 70s with the killer calling on the phone and the fake scare on the phone. That happens here, and Jason would never do anything else like that later on. Also, putting putting the pulling the, the um, teapot off of the uh, stove after a kill also doesn't feel like something Jason would do. So it's filled with these things that become weird, in, in, yeah, whatever it is, um, weird kind of um, ah. I don't want to say coincidences, weird things that he wouldn't really do later on in the series, but this was before all those, so maybe they should have based those, this, the, the field of Jason's on this one. So, okay, Jason has a completely different look. Like I said, he's a little bit more scrawny, uh, arguing who plays him, Steve Dash or Warrington Gillette. Oh, but, okay, um, he's a little bit more scrawny. He has the bag on his head, and when it comes off, he has hair. So there's, like, lots of weird things going on with that. The plot of it is, of course, these kids want to open uh, a camp next to the uh, Camp Crystal Lake. Of course, that one's been closed down because of all the tragedies that happened there. It's five years after the first Friday the 13th. So these these counselors are getting ready to set everything up. Uh, this one also has Amy Steele in it, who uh, plays Jenny. She's pretty much considered one of the most popular final girls. She's also in April Fool's Day, another 80s slasher made in 86. So uh, it has a very powerful, I guess, final girl. What I'll say about this movie is the kills are solid. The characters are really um, some of the more likable ones in here. We have one, one of the characters is also in Christine, if anybody's seen Christine plays one of the bullies so uh it has decent set of characters uh and there's a couple memorable kills for sure it has some scary moments too especially the end stuff it has a lot more suspense than some of the latter sequels and it brings back characters from the original which i really love crazy ralph pops back up which i really like seeing and i kind of wish that some of the other sequels would have brought in some of the people from the surrounding town of camp uh, crystal lake i think that that would have helped make these all feel like in the same universe. And this one definitely feels like it's in the same freaking universe. Uh, we all have that history. Of course, Tom Savini wouldn't do the special effects because he said Jason was dead. He did the burning instead. So there's a lot of interesting things and history about the movie. But as for the movie itself, I think it's one of the scariest and more suspenseful of the Friday the 13th movies. I think the kills are solid and the characters are decent. And that's what you look for in a slasher movie. I can't, I have to, um, of course, there's nudity as well. I have to mention, um, I can't think of the guy's name in the wheelchair. have to mention the guy in the wheelchair and uh, the girl that's into him. Those two are probably the most memorable characters, if not just for their demises. Uh, and the perfume spray, without spoiling too much, I always got a kick out of that. I never forgot that moment when I first saw this movie. And I never forgot the, the wheelchair guy's uh, demise either. But uh, every time you see somebody in a wheelchair, think Franklin Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you're like... In the slasher or horror movie, you're like, oh no, <laughs> this is not going to work out for you. But um, I really like this one. And the ending, um, of course, brings up that whole weird thing with the dog. Uh, there's just so much to talk about here. And I really recommend listening to 
Um, the banana lasers coverage of these movies, or I think the exploding heads covered them too. But I, I enjoy the hell out of this one. It's one of the better of the Friday Thirteenth movies. And I was listening to this uh, podcast where they basically do these drafts where they did Nightmare on Elm Street versus Friday Thirteenth, and they rank all twenty of the movies in the series. And the movies that ended up on top, um, the, at least as far as the Friday Thirteenth movies are concerned, made me drop my jaw drop. It was just weird. Number two should have been higher. I don't want to get into that. It's nothing to do with this. But regardless, very entertaining movie. Man- Manfredini returns for the score. Steve Miner directs. And uh, I don't really have any uh, problems with this one. I do think it's one of the stronger Friday the 13th movies and one of the stronger slashers. And if not, one of the stronger sequels in a horror movie for sure. But uh, one that improves on the original. So yeah, Friday the 13th Part 2. should Friday the 13th, 1981, be any different? Friday the 13th, part two. The body count continues. 14. All doomed. You're all doomed. 15. God. 16. 17. 18. 19. Okay, Jonathan Wilhelm, I don't know why you're doing this to me. I don't know what I did wrong to you, but he gave me Leprechaun in the Hood. This is the Leprechaun collection here. Why would you do this to me? Couldn't you have gave me part one? Couldn't you have gave me Leprechaun Back to the Hood? Because I haven't seen that one. Or even three, two, three, four. You get I haven't seen those in years. But Leprechaun in the Hood, okay. This was made in the late uh, late 90s. Late 90s. Is it? Is it? I think it might have been early 2000s. I remember seeing this when it came out. More than once. This is the. This probably is the Leprechaun movie I've seen the most, and I don't know why. It's one thing that my friends would put in when they were like, oh, this is hilarious. Let's watch this. They would be... I, I never was a big weed smoker or anything like that, but my friends would smoke weed, and then they'd put in Leprechaun in the Hood because they thought it was funny. Okay, let me say this is about this movie. Leprechaun in the Hood is not a movie It's so bad it's good. It's not bad enough to be that, but it's also not necessarily great to me. So it's just like, 
I, it's just right down the middle. It's stupid. It's silly. The plot of this is nonsense. None of these Leprechaun movies really follow any, you know, story that continues on. Maybe besides Back to the Hood, I haven't seen that one. So, and, and then the new one, Leprechaun, uh, the one that just came out, returns. So I'm like, where, where are we going here? What's going on? Okay, so right in the beginning, it's in the 70s, and um, the Leprechaun is some sort of, he's frozen in a statue. He has this weird necklace on there. Ice-T is like a criminal. Him and his friend find him, and they learn that there's gold here. So they're going to steal all the gold. Ice-T's after this magic uh, golden flute, where, because he wants to, you know, be a famous uh, musician, rap artist. So, yeah. They take the necklace off of the leprechaun. He comes back, kills his friend. Ice-T stops him. And then we fast forward to modern day. There's a group of young rappers struggling to get out there, struggling to make a name for themselves. And, of course, they get mixed up with stealing the flute, unleashing the leprechaun, and all hell breaks loose. Warwick Davis returns as the leprechaun, and he goes around. And wherever these rappers go, these uh, these young guys uh, go, the leprechaun follows, looking for his golden flute, and picks them off. So we have him run into all these stereotypical characters like the pawn the pawn kind of guy the pawn shop guy the asian uh, shopkeeper the reverend all these kind of people um the transsexual yeah this movie was made in a certain time when um the, the comedy's so outdated you know what i mean where they're like isn't it hilarious just to like have these weird kind of stereotypical characters and play into it 110 percent so all the characters are over the top all the characters are stereotypical all these characters are definitely from uh the humors from you know a different time and it shows sometimes it can be kind of funny and cringy all at the same time or embarrassing and that's that's kind of what's going on here warwick davis has some nice rhymes uh some nice lines in here a friend with weed is a friend indeed but a friend with gold is the best I'm told or something like that. I mean, come on. Maybe it is so bad it's good. Maybe it is. Maybe it really is. But uh, Ice-T's okay in it. Uh, Ice-T and the Leprechaun, <laughs> it's so, so stupid. So stupid. Um, having some decent moments uh, with each other. Um, Warwick Davis is a good actor. He's a good sport about this, and he's usually the best part of these movies. Um, the zombie fly girls that the Leprechaun brings back are really stupid. It's a really dumb subplot, but hey, whatever. I mean, the whole thing's pretty dumb. I really would wish they would have continued throwing Leprechaun in weird spaces, like places. We had them in space. We had them in the hood. I was hoping for the West. I always was. I said that ever since I saw the... Um, uh, Leprechaun in the Hood. I was like, hope he does the West next because I would have loved that. And they could have made that a prequel to this one or something like that. I just want to see Little Leprechaun with his gun like, eh. That would be hilarious. Like, doing weird rhymes in the, you know, the Western slang. Um, so yeah, even Medieval Times. Come on. You could so many things you could have done with the Leprechaun instead of make a sequel to the Hood. Uh, so yeah. This movie actually was pretty popular amongst kids uh, my age. I remember a lot of people thought it was funny. And my cousin went to a predominantly like black school. And he, he I remember he was telling me, because I was always loved horror movies, he was like, Dave, listen to this. Like Everybody voted for the most popular movie uh, in the yearbook, and it was Leprechaun of the Hood. That literally was popular. I, I don't know. It was just popular because there wasn't that many like African-American-centric horror movies. There's just not... They didn't do that that much where those movies with entirely black cast and especially horror films. So in a lot of aspects, that's kind of cool, to be honest. So and it is a memorable movie. Like I've seen it like four or five times for whatever reason. The special effects are good in it. I mean, the gore is fine in it. It is fun to laugh at, but it has some decent moments, too, I guess. Uh, it's right down the middle for me. I can't hate this movie. I really can't. But I can't really recommend it because you're just like, this is complete nonsense. And it is complete nonsense, but it is Leprechaun in the Hood. Yeah. 
when Mac Daddy discovers a magic flute. That's all I want right here. <laughs> he becomes the richest man in hip hop. Hey, get these losers out. But when three young rappers. Kind of like Robin Hood. <laughs> Say we're going to be robbing in the hood. <laughs> stumble onto his musical treasure. Everyone will have to pay the piper. Unhandy gold, you thieving hoods. You got more loot than Tiger Woods. <laughs> they got the flute. We got to get that back. Our party's over. He's mean. Did somebody say blow? <laughs> what kind of voodoo shit you boys into? He's green. Curious aroma. That's the bomb, I did. The bomb? Ah, the bomb. He's down. Does she meet with your approval? Sit down, my healthy filly. You're about to meet a club named Billy. Come and let me lay hands upon your sinful creature. <laughs> What's that? It's rap. And then you take this and wrap it around your ugly ass. Warwick Davis. Ice tea. But the Herald Isle to your place in the hood, and the man of green comes to do no good. You know who the left is the real OG. Got your ass! <laughs> we don't go down without a fight, right? Right? Right. Ah! Leprechaun 5. Size doesn't matter when you're still the man. Hey guys, what's up? I don't know why I decided to switch this. Probably looks worse. Probably going to be a lot of problems. And it's probably darker than it should be, but we're here at uh, week 19 of Hammer Time. I don't keep count. There it is. That's yeah. what I was looking for. Uh, week 19. Uh, I'll just Before I forget, I think next week is Dracula Prince of Darkness. We're going to hop into the third Dracula. Um, but this week is something a little bit different. It is, uh, what is it, 65? Uh, 1965 by Seth Holt, who did Scream of Fear. Which makes a lot of sense when you see this one. This is The Nanny, starring Betty Davis. My grandmother. <laughs> no, your grandma's sweet and nice. <laughs> Betty Davis is definitely crazy. Yeah. Uh, do you want to get into the plot of this one, or do you want me to? Um. Well, why don't you start off with it? Okay. Yeah. Basically, what we have here is this upper uh, middle class family, probably upper class, but they don't seem to be that rich because they live in this weird shared complex apartment deal in UK. But it seems like this nanny who's with them has been with them for years, and that's kind of the deal that's going on here. We have this uh, couple, um, a husband who's always out working, and a wife who's kind of, uh, you know, really 
kind of mentally unstable. And she has a nanny played by Betty Davis she relies on everything for. Mm-hmm. Their kind of whole world gets turned upside down when they go to pick up their son from a mental institution for children. And he's going to come live back home. You find out he did something very dark. And almost immediately he has really huge reservations and anger towards the nanny. Betty towards Davis. middle-aged women yes, in, in general. general. Yeah. Because we see inside the institution that there's something wrong with him. And quickly we learn that they've had a tragic death in the family. Within the first five minutes, I said, God damn, this movie is bleak. Right. Um, so, the mother kind of scorns the son in the beginning. And you might think that maybe it's some sort of relationship. Re- like like the mother doesn't like the son, or the son's like the mother. But eventually, like... After the opening scene, we see what this movie is like a family drama. It's all screwed up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so learn the psychology of these characters big time. The father seems to be like distant, but you understand why he's distant. Mm-hmm. And this movie's really good at right away. The movie's called The Nanny, so you're like, there's got to be something up with the nanny. So Betty Davis, although very likable at first in this movie, is immediately untrustworthy because it's Betty fucking Davis. Right. From what have you, whatever happened to Baby Jane and all sorts of old bitty movies where she loses their damn mind right burn offerings so i mean i think she does a phenomenal job she's great in it she is <laughs> i mean the first half of this movie i wanted to strangle their kid because yeah. he's a snotty little brat um he and betty davis is super passive and nice like oh he didn't mean all that and all this right she's like trying to like take his side and, and he's just throwing temper tantrums everywhere and as it goes on, you don't really know who's the bad one, the kid or the nanny, and you learn what happened to the daughter, there's some re- revelations, what happens in the movie. Lots of unique good stuff. Right. Um, and actually, when you do find out what happened to the daughter, there's they, they tell the story twice. They tell it from the yeah. son's point of view, and then later on from the Betty nanny's point, point of view. Yeah. And, um, and, and you also get to see what led up to... Yeah, yeah, what caused her... What caused her... What caused everything. I don't yeah. want to necessarily spoil anything here. Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything. Cause I think this is a really good one. Yeah, I agree. Um, um, the script's written by Jimmy Sangster, mm-hmm. who does a lot of these. This is a contemporary one, so it is in black and white. And Jimmy Sangster's scripts are usually pretty good. Sometimes, like, the last one was the one I didn't... Nightmare. That wasn't such a big one, but I love Paranoiac. Right. Did he, did he write Paranoiac? Well, it seems like he would, because this one shares some similarities into that, right. but... I love the relationship between the nanny and the mother because mm-hmm. it, it stems this kind of weird relationship from the whole family dynamic um, between the sisters, the, the sister. mother and the sister, how they have this complete difference in them. Right. And they set everything up with what happens to characters so you can expect it to happen. But I've never wanted to punch a little kid in the face so bad. Right. Like, he's he's terrible. Like, you, you see Betty Davis in the opening. She, she's got a cake. She's making dinner. It's, this kid's just being a little... Snot, and it's like, oh, dude, if that were my son, I'd toss him back in the fucking ocean. Back in the ocean? Well, I mean, you don't give birth in the ocean, Jeremy. I mean, when you're a whale, you do. Yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> all right, but uh, yeah, I thought the acting was really strong from all fronts on this one. I agree. I really was excited to see what was going to happen next, and it kept me guessing, even though it should be obvious, but mm-hmm. it's not exactly. The um, the acting was pretty good, um, even from the. Children. The, the kids were very yeah, good, but, too. Yeah, but they, the, the daughter, the little girl, I had a hard time understanding her, but she's not in it very 
much. Well, she's she's good, but that's how little I mean, she's talk. Like, she's four. Yeah, she's four. But, or five. Uh, there is a second child character in this. His his neighbor friend, and yeah. she is she's just awesome. <laughs> she's like the uh, that day, that movie's equivalent to like Winona Ryder and Beetlejuice. Pretty much. I, she's she's, she's like fourteen. She's like smoking cigarettes, like lifting her skirt up. From her like, father's actually really good too. Yeah, her, her, uh, yeah. And there's lots of setups. Like in the beginning, the kids like I don't want this room, but we prepared this room for you, and you understand why. Right. And then there's also other things like uh, there's a really ironic twist of fate. What happens with Betty Davis involving her flashback? When you're like, yeah. oh, that's really kind of screwed up. That. Her character did this her whole life, but really did neglected a lot of other things in her life. Right. So, um, <laughs> it's really good. Oh, it's it's good. I, I I mean, I put it in the upper fifty. Yeah, we. I said that. Seen. I was like, we should do that from now on. Yeah. Is it um, out of the ones we've seen? Is it top or bottom? Like, is it up or down? Basically, the thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah. This is, this is definitely in the top. Top. I don't know. Not I don't probably top ten that we've seen so far. I mean, I I put it up in so far maybe in the upper twenty five percent. Yeah, I would agree yeah. with that for sure. Um, and it's the first time Betty Davis actually was in a Hammer movie. I know she's in the anniversary. I don't know. I think that one was after. And we're not covering that one because I I was reading it felt less suspenseful horror. Oh, okay. But maybe we should watch it on extra. Maybe a bonus. This director, like I said, also did Scream of Fear, which is the really good one that I reviewed a while back. So it's not yeah. getting covered in this with the, with a girl in the wheelchair, and it's really haunting. That one's really good. That one is phenomenal. I would recommend that one too. It's not yeah. Hammer, but it's... it is Hammer. Oh, it is Hammer. Yeah, we're just not covering it for this because I already covered it in what? the series. I want to watch that one again. Well, it's too late. I can't be covering where, movies I already so covered where, in the show. So. Where does that fall in where the timeline? Around this time. Around this time. There's four titles, like I said, that I've already watched that are Hammer Horror that I won't be covering because they've already been covered. Did you list them yet? Um, Never Take Candy from a Stranger, uh-huh. Scream of Fear, um, Maniac, and, oh geez, it's the uh, Stop Me Before, not Stop Me Before I Kill, I'm not doing that one either, but it's the one with um, Peter Vaughn and Donald Sutherland. Oh. And it's like a house full of kind of crazy people. That one's really good, too. So those are the four I've already covered previously. Got it. How but many... Uh... Oh, we, no, I'm we're... thinking Donald Pleasance. Donald Pleasance isn't in any hammer. I don't believe so, no. No, okay. No. But it's... But Peter Vaughn is. Peter Vaughn. And he's from Straw Dogs. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I would really... I, this, normally we go into depth and kind of spoil these a little bit, but I really want to keep this one spoiler-free, so it's not much to say. It's shot well. It looks great. The lo- I like the house they're in. It uh, adds to a lot of cool things. Mm-hmm. And the kid has, like, a good son vibe going on, a good son yeah. bad seed thing going on, and you're like, oh, no. So it's like old Biddy meets tro- troubled kid, so you're like, which one of these is actually the bad one? Right. And... and- Realistically, none of them are bad. Tragedy. Yeah, let's. Well, I think I don't want to go too much into it, but um, this is it, it's beautiful. I, I'd say. I would it. say it doesn't feel like a hammer to me. One of them is bad. Well, I mean, you, we got to stop saying that because we've already had Scream of Fear, Nightmare, Paranoniac, and those are all yeah, hammer but, movies. But the, and Quatermass too. I guess it seems like like these contemporary ones, these black and white, the like they're phenomenal and i prefer i much prefer i seem to prefer these over the whole gothic horror and i never thought that i would me either and and wait till we get to the 70s though and we get to some of the uh, stuff where hammer's like we sell last house in the left of like, texas chainsaw massacre right <laughs> and, uh, we sell sleaze in the exploitation of the american film market give us some titties right and, and it's really weird like with the hammer draculas as they progress like i um 
There's like part of them where one will be PG, next one will be R with the, uh, like nudity, and then the next one will be PG again. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? When did they get to the video nasties? This is the, the, no, that none of the after. Hammer movies. I don't think ever made it on the oh, video okay. nasties list. They started in the '80s with the heyday of the video stores and stuff in the early '80s, and a lot of those tapes were pre, you know, cut. They weren't cut, and then when they were already on the shelves, the UK right. started grabbing everything, and that's a huge story. But I can see that maybe some of these, maybe like some of the latter ones might have been taken off the shelves, but I don't think they were ever right. prosecuted or put on the list officially for sure. So far, I don't think that we've had anything that That was horrifically be... graphic? Yeah, I think th- there's been a few nudity in some, but both are more like art things, like uh, drawing. I yeah. think there was like, didn't, did the Jekyll, or maybe it wasn't the Jekyll and Hyde, it was one that was closer, I think, to Oliver. The Man Who Could Cheat Death? Yeah. Um... I think then that one had nudity. Possibly, I can't remember. I can't remember. There remember. was only like one or two that had nudity so far, right? And I know that a couple of them do have nudity later on. Like, and Empire I think the Gorgon had nudity. Did it? Didn't it in the I beginning wasn't there a sex scene? Yeah, but I don't remember if there was nudity. I or can't not. remember either. But I, like I said, highly recommended. I'm going to go mm-hmm. probably seven and a half out of ten. I'm probably. I I want to say it's five out of five because I don't think there's anything wrong with this movie. Um, have I given a five out of five? Maybe Quatermass so. two. Quatermass two. This is up there. For right now, I'm gonna say five out of five. Okay. Maybe later I'll say four and a half. Maybe I'll say six out of five. I might do that. You can't do that. No one can stop me. I guess there are nobody. There's no uh, hammer rating police. <laughs> But if they were, they'd definitely be Jack Watson from the, from the Gorgon <laughs> right. trying to throw a knife at you and you're standing by a tree. Um, yeah, this is a really great one. Highly recommended. Next week, I think it's Dracula, Prince of Darkness. Unfortunately, the nanny is not on tear on tape or in John Stanley's Creature Features. That latter kind of makes sense. Is there, because um, we, did we watch a UK disc? I watched the um, UK, there is a UK Blu-ray, I believe, the nanny. And I, I'm sure it might get a stateside Blu-ray. 20th Century Fox might own this one here. I'm not sure. Uh, that might not be good news for uh, Blu-ray, but I got the um, DVD box set deal with the Hammer back in the day, the 21-disc. It's a really cool set. I'll show it. Um, Only a couple of those we'll probably end up watching off there because a lot of the other ones have been announced on Blu-ray or or will be on Blu-ray here. Is that the box that's shaped like a coffin? Yeah. No, no, it's not like a coffin. That's the Blind Dead box set. This is the one that's shaped like a a box and then it has the hammer cross on it. You open it and it's got the four books in there with the movies. But yeah, um, I appreciate you guys watching. We're going to roll that trailer. She tried to kill me! She tried to kill me! She tried to kill me! Nanny understands. She's on your side. She's a liar. Silly. What she is. Virginia, you've got to face facts. However much we may all depend upon Nanny. The boy doesn't like her, he never did, and he never will. Will you sack her, then? Please. Master Joey, I had hoped things would improve between you and I while you were away. They haven't, have they? I will give you one more chance, Master Joey. One more chance.
Everything's going to be all right, isn't it? Of course it is. Haven't you got your old nanny here to make sure? Okay, we're going to get into the questions. Nick Moore, do you think it's safe, uh, still safe, advisable for people to go trick-or-treating with so much unrest in the U.S. and the rest of the world? Yeah! You can't be afraid of everything, okay? Um, maybe if you're worried about it, don't go around in a certain outfit. Certain outfits might, you know, uh, drive some people crazy. I don't know, but you can't. You can't stop your life because of some things like that. Are you worried your house will get egged and TP'd? No. Never happened before. How would you entertain yourself if the power went out and you couldn't watch any movies for the night? Um, kill. Everyone. Kill them all. No, I, I don't know. If it was during the day, I'd probably go outside. At night? I don't know. I'd figure something out. Probably go to sleep. Uh, Peek and boo. Somehow I was thinking of your top ten and others top ten or more if they you want to hear have some time. Movies that deal with nihilism. Nihilism. There is no hope. Would it be interesting if you slash someone would do some sort of list in the future? And who am I if not starting the entire list? Nope. These are not in exact order, but I write down as many as I have on the keyboard. Some being bragging, dorky, whatever. I get what he means. So he's listed some movies. He wants a list of movies that are nihilistic. Or for him, here it is. Jude, 1996. Um, I don't know this movie. Uh, Misa, 1987, aka Worldwide. Captured Mother and Daughter, She Beast. Martyrs, Ghostland. Exhausted, 2018. Uh, Steel Cold Winter, 2013. Mark of the Witch, 2016. I really don't know many of these movies. And then we have uh, Go Go, Second Time Virgin, 1969. And it says it's Katano, Takashi Katano, one of his first roles. I, I think I've heard of that one. Collapse, not 2019, a documentary. And Megan is Missing. So, okay, so let me think of some that come right to my head. Um, you got to have Last House on the Left there. For American horror, for American films, that pretty much was boom, right there. Um, I'm, I'm gonna, Night of the Living Dead, I would put on there. Because the ending is so powerful. And uh, Texas Chainsaw. Those are the three that come to my head that are being that kind of like early, late 60s, early 70s kind of horror film. Uh, I, there's so many movies that are bleak and dark and everything like that. Um, but those are the three that really come to mind when it comes to horror movies or that kind of genre film. Just off the top of my head. And I think thanks to those movies, they've really kind of started the difference in films for horror films. And then we have some answers. I asked if you guys had any Halloween movie traditions. Uh, and we have Jonathan Wilhelm. Uh, oh, he has a question. Matt, let me get this question out of the way. What is your favorite VHS tape in your collection? Ooh, you know what? Just off the top of my head, this one cracks me up, so I'll go with this one. The Beasties. <laughs> yeah, Cinema Home Video, The Beasties. No back. It's too good for a back, right? There we go. Hope that answered your question. But we got a bunch like that over there. So his uh, favorite Halloween tradition is, um, I would say I watch Halloween 3 and Night of the Demons every year on Halloween night. Just great Halloween-themed movies that would have become that had become a tradition for me. I used to watch Night of the Demons quite a bit on Halloween. Chris Rivers, I usually try to watch something horror-slash-Halloween-related every day for the last week of September until Halloween. I usually ease in with some old Unsolved Mystery stuff and Scariest Place on Earth episodes. Old Universal Horror and on to the more established watches. Halloween itself usually includes Hocus Pocus, Halloween, Trick or Treat, and Creepshow. 
Then we have Willie from uh, Twitter. Watching a shit ton of them in late August, September, slash early October till I end up burned out on them by the time Halloween actually comes. Trying to knock out rewatches for Rob Zombie's Halloween this 31st, though. Maybe go through the whole series again leading up to it. Zach Nolan, Halloween movie tradition, Trick or Treat 1986. Sammy Kerr. Um, RMT Music 1. Alicarda is a must-see film. One of my fave time, one of my all-time fave watches. Watch it every Halloween. Uh, Nick Mua, Sawin is my favorite time of the year. Cold and wet weather, be damned. I always make myself a nice big scrumptious supper. I try to go and see a new artsy scary flick. Also, I select a theme which features in all the films I'm watching on the dark moonless night, like wa- like water this year. THX for those titles, by the way. Thanks for those titles, by the way. Okay. Uh, the Mystagogue. Halloween tradition. I marathon it and usually have a party with friends with a crazy amount of food. Scary movies. Play all day long. I'll always play some of my all-time favorites like Evil Dead, The Thing, Rosemary's Baby. I try to get in something old, old, like Creature from the Black Lagoon or Giant Insect Movie. But most important, I will watch at least one TV Halloween special from when I grew up. The Witch's Night out of my per- or my personal favorite. The Paul Lind Halloween special, which is actually considered legendary in its own way. Boy, check out... Oh, okay. There, there we go. And then we have Peek and Boo. Hello again, Sensei Parker. Oh, the question of the week. I am not much in the Halloween, not U.S. citizen, but I tend to watch The Exorcist every year. Not that it is a Halloween-spirited movie, though. Sorry. Sean McCauley, Creepshow. Can't go wrong with Creepshow. Let me flip this page. Uh, Bobby Capini Jr. Is that how you say it? I don't think I've ever tried to say it out loud. Goosebumps episode, the haunted mask with kids every Halloween night while they go through their candy after trick-or-treating. Gabe Rios, trick-or-treat every year around Halloween. Classic. Rebecca Reinhardt, the first time I start a fire in my fireplace in the fall, I turn off the lights and watch the original Halloween. Anthony Roz, a trip up to Sleepy Hollow. Mark Humphreys, Halloween 3 is one I always like to watch at Halloween. Timothy uh, Tohan, uh, uh, Callan, Lake Crystal Swimming. Is he talking about Lake Camp Crystal? I don't know. Maybe it's a, a lake over there. But then we have Mac Brewer, The Midnight Hour and The Worst Witch. Todd Brunner, a relatively new one because they've only done it for a few years now. But I like to go to Aunt Rama Drive-In for their season clothing Halloween movie night. They have two screens. Each one plays four Halloween films. Uh, four horror films. One screen is family-friendly. The other more adult. Uh, Jason Leacquari. If I say your guys' name wrong, correct me next time. A lot of these names I've never heard pronounced out loud, and I've seen them for the first time, at least the last names, and I'm trying to pronounce them. So if you, if you, if I mispronounce them, let me know, and I'll try to do it better next time. I start with Monster Movies for Sci-Fi September, roll into Horror All October with lots of Hammer and Universal Classics. The Halloween movies the last few days, then The Nightmare Before Christmas to get geared up for the next round of holidays. Steve Rendusky, Rendusky, Halloween always means Halloween 3 and Ernest Scared Stupid. Ernest scared stupid. Joseph Michael Conway, watching the Evil Dead series while eating Sloppy Joe's powdered sugar donuts and drinking apple cider. Jason Fetters, I start with the Disney, The Adventures of Ichabod, followed by the Monsters Halloween episode, the Adams Family Halloween episode, and finally Trick or Treat. Alex Powers, watching the obscure late TV, uh, 70s TV, series, TV version of Legend of Sleepy Hollow with Jeff Goldblum as Ichabod Crane. I actually used to rent that all the time as a kid. I think I have the VHS somewhere around here. I know I do. And then uh, Bill Casanelli, buying the good candy for the real trick-or-treaters and buying those goodie bags and loading them up with crap like cigarette butts, bottle caps, and pint for the lazy teenagers without costumes on. Pint? Who, uh, who think they deserve something good. 
Ooh, harsh, Bill. And he says, oh, and going to the grocery store and asking a worker where to find the apples and then razor blades. Give him the Night of the Demons treatment, huh? Peter England, John Carpenter's Halloween. Jessica Ellison, Little Shop of Horrors, always. Sometimes the craft or Beetlejuice, too. Ryan Matthew Ziegler, lots and lots of hammer. Jason Lindbergh, 31-day challenge in a group on here. That I did with the same folks last year. Not really movie, but Adam's Family, the TV show, all month long. Of course, at least two days of the mo all movie watching for Halloween. And this year it's four since it falls on a Thursday. Nathan Rumor, I don't have many holiday traditions when it comes to movie watching, but I do usually try to watch some of the Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors around Halloween. Lindbergh, uh... Uh, Lindbergh says, uh, oh, yes, me too. Well, up to a certain point, but they stopped doing scary stuff. Icarus Finn, Trick or Treater Halloween. Nick Anderson, Death Metal and Creature Features. Cody Lee Harden, I watched my copy of Clown House that you gave me. That is, if you ever did. Stop it. Um, Brian Papandrea, same. Stop it. Uh, Maddie Deering, I have a stack of movies. I try... And make it through. Some popcorn is a must every year, and I usually watch Demons. Not necessarily Halloween, but it captures the spirit for me, as well as Halloween 1 and 3 and Night of the Demons. Stanley Isman, I always watch The Changeling, The Legend of Hell House, and Halloween 2 around this time of the year. Peggy Small, Idle Hands, Trick or Treat, Satan's Little Helper, and of course Halloween are a couple I watch. Belinda McKay, Lost Boys, Tales from the Crypt TV show, and Halloween 3. Brandon Motley, usually watch Franchise Horror and Satan's Little Helper. Jeremy R., I'm big on both Hocus Pocus and The Midnight Hour. They both encapsulate what Halloween is to me, one night to settle what needs to be settled. I agree. Steve McGivern, watch Zombie Flesh Eaters. Dustin Mills, I have lots, but Ernest Scared Stupid is required viewing, often multiple times. Amy Fox Goodwin, last year I did the 31 Days of Horror Movie Challenge with Brian, but since I always fall asleep, I watch 24 half movies and 6 movies in their entirety. I mean, I'm old and I have to get up early. I feel your pain. Corey Walter, I watch porn where the old ladies wear costumes all October long. Keith Voigt Jr., Friday 13th 1 and 2, Halloween, The Shining. Barbara Berger Benson, Sir Gray's Ghastly Movies. Zach Puchinelli, Puch Bag Snatching. You and uh, BC should get together. You guys could rob a bunch of people, a bunch of kids. Rob Munster, I always kick off my Halloween movie watching season with It's the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown, Brandon Bennett. Every year I watch both Mr. Boogity Films, The Garfield Halloween Special, and Ernest Scared Stupid. Been watching them on VHS since I was young. Also, if I can fit it in, I watch The Midnight Hour. Karen Werner, Motel Hell and Dr. Fibes. Uh, that's my aunt. And that's funny because uh, they've always talked about Motel Hell and Dr. Fibes. They've always dug those. And then my cousin, Jimmy Benson, Hell, uh, Motel Hell always, you know what movie, Dave, 1980. He likes that one as well. I actually got my cousin Jimmy that for Christmas one year. Because they were talking. I don't know what's up with Motel Hell with some of my family members. But they, I love it too. But it's weird. Uh, it's funny thing is, honestly... I look back and I see like a lot of people's family like talk about their like family's terrible taste in movies or not liking movies at all. But most of my family members had a really genuine good taste in film. My mom like grew up liking Stephen King. My dad liked a lot of cool Western movies and action and stuff. My grandfather loved films, universal horror and all sorts of classic movies. And my aunts and stuff, they dug like, uh, you know, Stephen King lost boys and horror movies and like aunts and uncles like, like stuff like fives and motel hell. My cousin like Charles Bronson. So like I, they all had a genuinely good taste in movies. So that's always nice. I wonder if my family is just like a, movie family and just didn't really you know so yeah 
I guess we're going to go question of the week. Uh, since it's getting around Halloween, I want to know your favorite monster and your favorite horror icon. Like, is your favorite monster, you know, uh, like, is it a vampire, a zombie, a werewolf? And is your favorite icon Pinhead, Freddy Krueger, you know, Frankenstein's monster, whatever. Just let me know. So um, I guess we're going to hop into the update. Okay, let's hop into this update. First, we have from Ronin Flick, Scorpion Films, Act of Vengeance, a.k.a. Rape Squad. I actually have a made-on-demand NGM disc. I've always wanted to watch this, never had a chance. Let the Revenge Fit the Crime. Precursor to the Ladies Club, which is a really cool um, revenge movie. This one, Jason Mask, right? Hockey Mask. I want to watch this. I'm excited to check it out. Looks Sounds like it's right up my alley. I like revenge movies big time, so yeah. Especially 70s exploitation style. Then we have The Wicked Die Slow from Scorpion Films. This looks crazy to me. They said this is like a really harsh revenge, rape revenge western thing. I don't know what the hell's going on. It just sounded really dirty and weird and crazy. And I was just like, you know what? I just kind of have to see it just to see what the hell's going on here. I love westerns. I love weird westerns. So The Wicked Die Slow. And we have a couple uh, Scream Factories, Hammer movies. Straight to On Till Morning. Interested in checking this out for sure. Not seen it. I think I had the DVD years back, so now we're going up onto Blu-ray. This looks cool. I love Hammer movies, so yeah. It's from the 70s. Then we have Fright. Another Hammer flick. Now the screen has a new definition of tear. Susan George. I love Susan George. So yeah. Definitely going to check this one out. I think these are both on the list. I believe this is a Hammer one. Both on the upcoming Hammer time, so yeah. Fright. And then last, but certainly not least, we have a SOV movie from Marcus Cook. I will be uh, reviewing this next week, but this is Bad Blood. He has a couple of these for sale. I think he's only got like nine left, so if you're interested in checking it out, then uh, get at him. So I think, I don't know if he's printing any more out. So he's got a little mini disc, uh, mini dock in there. So yeah, Bad Blood. I'll be checking this out for next week. So I guess we're going to hop back to the video. Okay, I just wanted to take the time to give a shout out to uh, Jason Schaefer. Thank you very much. He's a new Patreon. I appreciate it. Uh, let me know if I could do anything for you, anything you want to see, shoot me a message. But uh, as always, thank you very much, guys, for watching, and have a good one.